Welcome to Money Minutes for Doctors. I am your host, Christina McAteer, and once again, have the pleasure of welcoming Catherine Festness. How are you today, Catherine? Another great day. I get to be with you and help other doctors get financially secure. Absolutely. That is why we are here. So it looks like the topic for today is a Roth 401k. Is that correct, Catherine? And can you help us understand what that product is? Absolutely. Except I want to do a slight correction. It's actually about whether you should use your Roth 401k or your pre-tax 401k at work. A Roth IRA is actually a slightly different animal. All right. Well, clearly I do not understand the differences. So lay it out for me, Catherine. What do I need to know? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, good. Well, I'm glad you started this out because it's a a big misconception doctors have is they think if they've got a Roth 401k or a Roth 403b at work, that they can't do a Roth IRA. Uh, That's actually not true. So Roth IRAs are another topic. I'd like to save that for the future. Very, very important one on how to get money into Roth IRAs. Uh, But today I wanted to talk about whether doctors should choose their Roth option at work or not. So you're saying that every employer that offers a 401k or a 403b option, you can also subselect into a Roth option as well? I won't say every employer, but most employers now, if they offer you a 401k at work or in a 403b, they're basically just different IRS codes, means that you can set aside some pre-tax money. Uh, most employers nowadays give doctors the option on whether they want to use the pre-tax or the after-tax. The after-tax version of this is called a Roth 403B or a Roth 401k. Okay. So we're all pretty much familiar, I would assume, with a 401k or 403B option. Um, But maybe just give us a general summary to make sure that we all have the um, definitions clear in our minds. Okay, great. So doctors under the age of 50 can contribute up to 18500 this year into their 401ks or 403Bs at work. And if you're over 50, you can actually contribute 24500 They call that the catch-up. Um, so once again, we're just talking about the Roth 401ks or 403bs at work. So those are two different IRS sections that allows physicians and other employees to set aside money towards retirement. And if you're doing the pre-tax version of this, you don't get taxed on the money this year. So it is a way of reducing your income this year and thereby reducing your taxes. So if you maximized your 18500 uh, this year, that's 18500 less income you have and uh, less taxes you have to pay. Excellent. And so it seems most of us are contributing to that plan in variable degrees. I feel like the common advice about the 401k or 403b is to maximize that contribution. Would you say that's accurate or should this really be a thoughtful individual decision? Correct. The common thing is to maximize it. That's a great thing to do if you can. And when we get to the end, I will be talking a lot about who should be maximizing it and who maybe should be putting in less. Now you're saying another thing to think about is possibly contributing to a Roth 401k or Roth 403b. Right. Now, it's important to know you can't do 18500 into the pre-tax and 18500 into the Roth. You're going to either choose one or the other, or you could split it up. Some people will do half into the pre-tax and half into the Roth at work. So talk to me a little bit about 
how one would make those decisions or what factors they should be thinking about um, if they wanted to invest into a Roth? So whether you contribute to a pre-tax or the Roth plan, they're both going to help you accumulate more funds for retirement. So that's honestly, that's good news, no matter what you do. In general, both plans have penalties if you want to withdraw the funds before your age 59 and a half. Uh, those can get ugly. They can be uh, 10% and ordinary income tax. So we don't want to do uh, that unless it's an absolute crisis. Another third point is if your employer has a policy of, quote, matching your contribution, their employer match always goes into the pre-tax option. So for our clients, we tell them, don't worry about filling up your pre-tax bucket because most employers are going to do this for you as that's where they're going to put their match. It's going to grow naturally. And I assume they do that as that has tax advantages for the employer. Exactly. The employers get to deduct it as a business expense. Okay. Yes. So, of course, that's, uh, that's a good thing for them. It's good for, it's good for you. Uh, the fourth point is the pre-tax option helps you save taxes today, as I mentioned. So the reason is your income is reduced by the amount you contribute. So let me just give you a hypothetical. Let's just say you're making 300000 this year and you maximize your pre-tax option you're only going to pay tax on $281,500. So that would be the $300,000 minus the $18,500. Now, depending on your spouse and your state, your spouse's income, this could save you anywhere between $5,500 to as much as $9,000 a year if you live in a high-tax state like California, Minnesota, or New York. So it's something definitely to consider using that pre-tax option. So that saves us money on both our federal and state tax exactly. liabilities. And so for those clients, like I said, if you're in a high tax state, you're probably going to want to max out your pre-tax bucket on the 401k. And you may decide not to use the Roth version of this at all. And that's fine. I just think you want to be very thoughtful about making that decision. Excellent. So listeners, I hope you paid attention to that. If you listened to last month's podcast about the changes in the tax law as it applies to state and local taxes, and now hear once again how your retirement option choices will be modified by the state that you live in, definitely pay attention to this. It can make fact. a huge difference, not just today, but down the road. Uh, now, point number five, unfortunately, using the pre-tax option today, yes, it saves you taxes today, but it is going to cost you much more in tax dollars in retirement. Uh, the reason is once you reach age 70 and a half, the IRS actually requires you to start taking withdrawals from these accounts and pay tax on them. And this happens whether you need the funds to live on or not. Uh, this is a huge surprise to doctors. I've had many doctors, 15, 60 year olds with literally millions of dollars in these accounts say, what do you mean? I have to pull the money out. I go, well, the IRS has waited all these years for their taxes. They're saying it's time to pay up. And they're, they're like shocked because when you run the numbers, it can be hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars a year in taxes on these accounts. Frankly, if you've done a good job of savings. So does the IRS stipulate how much money has to be withdrawn or you just have to take some percentage or is there some set amount that you have to be withdrawing? Tell us a little bit more about how that works. 
I love your questions, Christy. You ask such great questions. So yes, there's a formula and it's based on what the government perceives as your longevity. And it's actually in the statutes. So let's say you get to 70 and a half. I'm making these numbers up now, but you can just follow along with me. Let's say the IRS thinks at 70 and a half, you're likely to live um, 27 more years. So that year you'd have to take out one twenty-seventh of that account. The next year you'd have to take out two twenty-sevenths. Then you know the third year three twenty-sevenths. You kind of see where the where the math's going here. They call these required minimum distributions or RMDs for short. So the government would make that calculation for every person that has one of these accounts. Yes. Well, it's worse than that because if you're over seventy and a half. And you're supposed to be taking RMDs distributions and you forget or you don't know how to do it or your tech, your advisors aren't savvy enough to do it for you. The penalty is horrible because it's 50% is the tax penalty for not taking what you should have taken. Oh my gosh, that is shocking. I know it is shocking. So they want to make it pretty darn painful to make sure people start taking those required minimum distributions, whether they want to or not. And so the goal is obviously for them to start to recoup some of that tax income, but do they want the the account essentially liquidated over that time frame that they've used as your accounted longevity? Or if, gosh forbid, the person should decease before the account is completely empty, is, I assume they have some way to recoup the tax monies at that point as well. Absolutely. It's the IRS. They're going to tell no matter what. So that's a, a superb point because I've had a number of clients say to me, well, I'm not going to need this IRA or this 401k. I just want to, I'll gift this to my kids or my grandkids. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's one of the worst things you can do because let's say there's 500,000 in that account when you leave it to your children, it's never had income tax paid on it. So they'd be taxed on all of it as if it were income in one year, depending on the tax state. Again, they could lose close to half of it in taxes, and it could be subject to a state tax on top of that. So it can be extremely painful. It's why, once again, doctors need to plan ahead. Okay. Well, again, Catherine, thank goodness you're here for us because that is a lot to think about. And even if you were required to take these required minimum distributions as we are, I assume you probably have a way for us to do that in a very sophisticated manner to minimize the pain and make sure that that's still an asset that will be helpful for us. Yeah, that's a really, really good point. So that's a lot of what we do for doctors who are either nearing retirement or actually in retiring is every year looking at what bucket does it make sense to take the, quote, RMDs out of. And that's going to vary from year to year. A lot of it depends upon the stock market or do they have annuities? Do they, what other investments do they have? Uh, but it's something that you do need to look at every single year because it can have a big impact on your future. Another thing we sometimes do is before doctors get to 70 and a half, we try to convert as much as their 401ks or their IRAs to Roth IRAs as possible because then they don't have to take required minimum distributions on anything that's already gone into a Roth IRA or a Roth 401k for that matter. And does that also connote that if you were to gift that money, there's less tax liability there as well? Well, that's a great thing about the Roth 401k or the Roth IRA, you wouldn't have to pay taxes and the people inheriting it don't have to pay tax on it. So that's not subject to an estate tax. 
it's not subject to an income tax. It could be subject to an estate tax. Now, the estate tax rules, if you remember from our previous discussions on the federal level, have gotten quite high. Married couples, it's like $22 million. So I'll be frank, we don't have doctors that are worth $22 million. Uh, but it can come up on a state estate tax. So if you live in a state like Rhode Island or Minnesota, where the threshold for getting into state estate taxes is quite low, there could still be some estate tax at the state level on those Roth accounts. So many nuances to this. I'm so thankful we're doing this because I learn a ton each time we talk. And I really hope our listeners are paying attention because it is not just a set it and forget it. There really is a lot of strategy, a lot of um, rethinking and reflecting to make sure that each decision is thoughtfully weighed and, and calculated to the utmost benefit. Well, you've hit upon something that makes it fun for me because part of the reason I went into law and into finances was I never wanted to be bored. <laughs> I assume that has never been the case. No, and it's changing every year. So you've got to stay on top of it, which I find quite fun. It's a pain for the clients, but of course it's fun for me. Um, can I give you an example though, about how this might play out? Yeah, let's do this. Okay. So um, let's say we've got a doc couple. I'm going to call them Jim and Joanna both 35 and together they make 500,000 annually. Now, if they both put the maximum into the pre-tax 401k or 403bs, they would save about 14,000 in taxes this year. Um, I came to that calculation for those of you who are math whizzes, uh, 18,500 times two times 40%. I roughly figured they're in the 40% tax bracket. So 14,000 in taxes is not insignificant. I figure it's enough for a very nice trip. What do you think? Well, yes. I think for how hard physicians work, they do deserve a little bit of reward now and again. I totally agree. Uh, but you have to consider, sure, that saves us 14000 today, but let's talk about it in the future, though, in future taxes. Oh, that's the choice. So one of the rules I like to use is a math principle we call the rule of 72. And what this is, is a very simple math principle. If you take any interest rate and you divide that into the number 72, you get the number of years it takes the investment to double. So to keep the math simple in this case, let's assume that after fees, Jim and Joanna are making 7.2% on their money every single year. I think that's a very reasonable return. And that means if their initial investment of $37,000, which is really 18,500 times two are what both of them would be putting into their 401ks this year. Guess what? That 37,000 using the rule of 72, assuming a 7.2% rate of return, means that when they're 85, it's not worth 37,000. It's worth $1,184,000. That is a lot of money. It's shocking. It's one of the reasons we want doctors to start saving early, saving early. I mean, it's, it's amazing that 37000 over that time period could turn into $1.1 million. What should be more appalling to our listeners is that was just one year's savings. Next year, they want to put in, they want to maximize their 401ks. They want to put in the same amount. You can start seeing how this layers on top of each other. What should be appalling to our listeners is it's not just $1.1 million more dollars, but it's going to be tax on $1.1 million 
and that's just for one year's worth of savings. So let me explain to you how this could calculate out. Let's assume that Jim and Joanna's tax bill in the future is only 30%. I think this is a wildly over-optimistic assumption, but let's for now, let's just assume they're only going to pay 30% in taxes. That means in the future, they're actually going to owe $355,200 on just that one year's worth of savings or 30% of $1.1 million. That is a lot of money. Totally. And think, Christy, it gets compounded because they're doing this every year of their working career. It almost makes me think that they would be better to spend it all now and enjoy it. (laughs) And that's one way to look at it. Um, I, that's one of the reasons that whenever possible, I like doctors pay the tax on that money today. In this case, the 37,000 pay the tax on it today and never have to pay tax on it again. Cause you can see how this is going to save them so much money in retirement. I will say, I really like the appeal of that in part because there's so much uncertainty with the future. And so I like the fact of knowing that the tax is paid. And so that money is yours to use whenever you need it. Well, I like the certainty, too, because you've hit upon uh, one of the things that makes this a difficult decision. Because, A, we don't know how much this money is going to grow. Sure, I can show you if it averages 7.2%. might average more, though, and it's a bigger problem. might average less. The other unknown is we have no idea what the tax rates are going to be. Are they going to be higher than now? Are are they going to be lower? So if you like certainty, that's another reason that you may want to pay the tax on it now and be done with it. And I guess you also never know when you're going to need it. I guess the tax rates don't change drastically from year to year, but just in the last year's reset, it does change significantly. And so it seems like there would be a way to maybe optimize using that money without really having to think about what what the government is doing in terms of its tax laws. Well, I think you've hit upon something we should talk about in another podcast, which is how important it is to do tax efficient investing and have money in different tax buckets, because you're right, it allows you to reduce your taxes in the future. Okay. So the age old question, do we pay taxes now or do we pay taxes in the future? It's clear we can't escape them. Exactly. And you've hit upon the big dilemma that doctors face. I'm going to get to some suggestions in just a second about it. Uh, But let me finish up my thoughts about the two different types of pre-tax or Roth accounts. You can only use a Roth option if your employer offers it. Now, it's becoming a lot more common, but I still run into employers that don't offer it. Frankly, they need to get with the program. So uh, go ask your HR department to consider offering it. To be frank, it doesn't cost them any more money to, to do it. There's no reason they shouldn't do it. And what if you were a sole proprietor or if you were an independent contractor with only 1099 income, could you position yourself in an area to take advantage of a Roth option on your own account without needing an employer? Yes. And I, we do this a lot, even for doctors who maybe get a W-2 income from an employer, but they have the side gig or the side income. And for them, we like to create an independent 401k or an independent Roth 401k. So yes, it's entirely possible to do this on the side. Excellent. So again, doctors, listen up. You heard our last month's podcast about the importance of the side gig and having that additional income and what sort of benefits that could have for you with the new changes in the tax law. And now it has potential benefit for the retirement planning as well. So be flexible, be dynamic, think outside the box, and let's get going on this. 
Totally agree. My summary is uh, the advantage of the Roth accounts is once you pay the taxes, you you never have to pay them again. So it's a big plus. Now, can I want to go back to the question you asked me earlier, which is what's best for you? Mm-hmm. So I find the answer really varies from doctor to doctor, but let me give you a couple things to think about. So number one, um, consider your other investments, your savings, your debts, and emergency funds. So if you're a young doc and you're just starting out, you may have high medical school loans. You may want to contribute the absolute minimum to either the pre-tax or the Roth option. And by minimum, I mean just enough to get your employer's match. Very frequently, Christy, if you contribute 2%, your employer will match that at 2%. You want to do that for sure. So something that every employee should be aware of when they sign that contract. Exactly. Or they can always check in with their HR. And it does vary occasionally, meaning employers change it periodically. But it's an important thing to know. I consider this free money. Because if you put in zero, obviously 2% of zero is going to be zero. You're not going to get that match. So you want at least enough to make sure that you can take advantage of that. Excellent. So this is why you would want to do the minimum. This is for the doctor that needs to build up their savings. Maybe they don't have an emergency fund. Maybe they're maxed out on their credit cards. They're at the beginning of their career. They've got lots of expenses. They just can't afford to maximize this. That's fine. Just do the minimum you need to get the match and then spend a year or so trying to build up those emergency funds, some liquidities, other things, and then you can maximize it a year or two down the road. So that one would be first uh, first thing to think about. Okay. And, and the next thing is what? Well, if you're a doctor who's in a very high tax bracket, or maybe you're a doctor couple or your spouse has got a high income, or maybe you're in a state like California or New York that has high income taxes, you're probably going to want to put more money into the pre-tax portion because saving taxes today for these people is likely to be a higher priority than saving taxes later. And then number three, Uh, this might be the year to do Roth if you haven't done it before. And here's the reason. We've got these new tax changes. Most of our doctors are going to be paying less in taxes this year uh, than they have before. And as a result, it's a good time to switch because they're kind of like tricking themselves. They're actually paying less um, in taxes, so they're not going to feel the pain of having to pay the taxes on the Roth contributions. It's like tricking yourself into believing it's not costing you anything else. So I can see that definitely being a big piece of it. Exactly. Um, Number fourth in my considerations is some of our doctors do a 50-50 approach. These are for the doctors who want to hedge their bets. Uh, They might put half into the pre-tax and the other half into the Roth. You're going to get some tax deductions, sure, not as much as maximizing it, but you're also going to get some money in the tax-free account. So you didn't see the money in your paycheck previously. Let's make it into an investment. You still won't see it now, and therefore your monthly budget doesn't feel the squeeze and your Uh, quality of living doesn't change. I would have your advisor help you with all of this because it so varies from client to client. My last thought is whenever you can try to maximize the Roths. Uh, Once again, I'm sure you're going to save a little money today, but you'll save a lot, a lot more in the future if you can maximize your Roths today. Excellent. And that's something that your individual advisor would be the best person to help you make that decision. Exactly. Or another way to think about this is if you're going to go to, uh, to Roth or start maximizing your traditional pre-tax, I'd make the changes as soon as possible uh, because, frankly, the longer you wait, the higher your tax bill is going to be. So look at your employers and what sort of retirement accounts they offer. If they don't offer a Roth, perhaps they should, and reach out to your HR manager to see if that's a possibility. 
And certainly if you do have some income from the side gig, then make sure that you're using that in the most tax efficient way. Yes, yes. Um, I was hoping we have time to address one of the questions we've gotten from our lovely audience. Absolutely. Our last podcast focused on the income from side gigs and how that would be changing with the tax laws that have been imposed for the 2018 fiscal year. And a lot of our listeners were asking what implications that has for them in terms of tax strategies and for liability. Can you lend us some insight there? Yes. So I I was really, really glad that your listeners brought this up. And you framed it for me before we started recording in a way that was very, very helpful, which is that most doctors are on a very set, organized, detailed, step-by-step path to their career. And doing something like a side gig may seem overwhelming because there's so many different things that they have to think about. For doctors that are doing it themselves, they may not even know where to start to get this resolved. So one big question that you should all be asking is, what about my liability? Because we all know doctors are far more likely to get sued because people think you're worth so much more money than you actually are. And don't I wish that were true? I know. When I tell people in general how little doctors make, they're shocked because they're still thinking doctors like in the 80s when they make so much more than the rest of the population. Um, but on to our, to our question today, which is, what do we do? A lot of it depends upon what is the side gig. So if the side gig is forensics, let's say and you're, you're doing a court testimony, uh, we can go to an insurance company and get something called an errors and omissions policy that would cover that. It's going to be very inexpensive to be able to do that because the risk is pretty darn small. If you're going to be a medical director, I've got numerous clients who are getting medical directorships. Usually those contracts call for uh, the nursing home or whoever it is that's going to be hiring you to be nursing uh, to be medical director. Usually they're required to cover errors and emissions insurance or medical malpractice insurance for you for that role. And if you're in a position where whatever you're doing, they aren't covering medical malpractice insurance for you, you should take that into consideration when setting your fees, that you're going to need to get that on your own. And uh, that should be reflected in your fees. So your fees will cover that. So you're not out of pocket for it. Excellent. So it does seem that if, gosh forbid, the company that you were working with could not offer you any medical malpractice protections, there are private companies on the market that could provide this product for you so that you would be protected. Exactly. And we do have a firm that we work with that can help get medical malpractice insurance very inexpensively for doctors for these kind of projects. And uh, it's something that you definitely want to get set up up front. Uh, The good news is it's another tax deductible expense, too. Excellent information to know. I hope everybody heard that. Exactly. And once again, it's probably not as expensive as you're thinking. Obviously, if you're doing surgery and you're getting 1099 income for surgery, it's going to be expensive because a lot of risk there. But if you're just testifying in court four or five times a year, the risk is much, much lower than that. So it's going to be much less expensive. As a follow-up to that, talk about what liability there would be for education and would you recommend any sort of protections in that arena? Well, education, let's take, if you're teaching um, 
students how to pass the MCATs, let's say, you know, you're doing some online training. I don't think you've got any liability really at all. What are they going to do? Sue you that they didn't pass? Well, no. So I don't know that you'd need any um, errors and omissions or medical malpractice insurance for that. That would be my opinion as an attorney. Well, that concludes this episode of Money Minutes for Doctors. Catherine, once again, we thank you for your time. And listeners, thanks for tuning in. We look forward to having you join us next month. If you have any questions, please feel free to forward them along as we always appreciate your input. Get a good job with more pay than you're okay.